Welcome to the Museum of Femininity, a podcast where I, Charlotte Appleyard, discuss random topics of interest that relate to social history, art and material culture through a female lens. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Museum of Femininity. In this mini episode, I would like to look at the story and depiction of Mary Magdalene. So this will be more of a art-focused episode, so I'll be talking about iconography and specific paintings. So please have a look on Instagram, I will post all of the images I have referred to, so you can follow that at the Museum of Femininity. So Mary Magdalene, patron saint of hairdressers, gardeners and prostitutes. She is the scarlet woman clad in red, the repentant sinner and ultimate passive follower, kissing the feet of her beloved Jesus. Her image is captivating, alluring, and sticks in the minds of many, who can instantly identify her as the beautiful woman clad in red with long cascading hair. However, what if I were to tell you that there is no evidence in the Bible that she was a prostitute, and that some of the most memorable images of Mary were in fact borrowed from other stories and other female characters in the Bible. She was in fact a minor follower, often one among a group, but what distinguishes her is that she was a witness to some of the most important moments in Christian lore, and due to this, artists and followers of the faith were forced to fill in the gaps of her patchy past, and weave together an identity for this enigmatic woman. Today I will explain a little bit about Mary's importance in the story of Christianity, and how her image has been shaped by artists into what we know today. Who was Mary Magdalene? It is said she was born in Magdala, along the Sea of Galilee, and just a few miles from Cana and Nazareth. In addition to the Virgin Mary, she is perhaps one of the most recognisable women in the Bible and features heavily in Western art. However, quite interestingly, Mary only appears in the Bible four times and is hardly described or spoken of. However, when she does appear, it is often during a hugely significant moment, so it has become pertinent for a mythology and a strong identity to be built up around her. We first see Mary in the Gospel of Luke, where she is said to be one of the group of women healed of evil spirits and infirmities who follow Christ. It is stated as well that Jesus had cast seven demons out of Mary, although the nature of these demons are never elaborated on, As a woman tarnished by sin, inevitably people's minds drifted to sexual impurity, which has led to Mary being labelled as a prostitute, despite that never being explicitly stated. In the Gospel of Mark, Mary emerges as a key witness to the crucifixion of Christ and as one of the female mourners surrounding his cross. In addition to Jesus' mother, the Virgin Mary, We also see Magdalene with Mary Salome and Mary Cleophas. They are often depicted as a group in art, but Mary is frequently set apart as she is often the most visibly distressed 
or the most beautiful. So if you ever see a painting of the crucifixion, so like Fra Angelico's or Van der Weyden's, so he did this big triptych altarpiece. It's incredibly famous and um, you see Mar Mary, uh, the Virgin Mary, kind of sprawled out in the front fainting as Mary Salome, her sister, catches her. And then you see um, Mary Magdalene kind of sobbing in the corner. And if you see any picture of this, Mary Magdalene will be the one screaming the most, tears pouring from her eyes. She's often lying down on the floor. Uh, she is really cut up over this terrible thing she has witnessed. So she's very easy to identify, as well as her other visual characteristics, which we will go into a bit more detail about later. So another very famous moment in the Bible is when Jesus is resurrected, and Mary Magdalene is one of the witnesses who sees this. So again, this definitely elevates her as being a prominent figure in biblical history, even though we know very little about her character or her past. So in many of the Gospels, Mary is accompanied by the other Marys. But in John, the most vivid and memorable version of this event, Mary is alone and mistakes Jesus for a gardener. So this scene appears often in art, producing some really fascinating paintings. One of my favourite is by an artist called Giovanni Salvoldo. Um, and this dates around 1535 to 40. It's a really interesting painting because it's quite different to other depictions of this scene. So we see Mary quite prominent in the foreground. She's kind of curled over with her knees drawn in. But unlike lots of depictions of Mary, she's entirely covered by this shawl, which is this shiny satin fabric. Yeah, so she gazes out at the viewer with this mysterious half smile on her lips. She looks very serene and she is gazing upon the risen Jesus who remains this tantalising enigma beyond our eyeline. So all we can see is Mary's face looking at Jesus. Um, there's this beautiful breaking dawn behind her uh, that's shining this very peaceful light over a Venetian landscape, which creates this very beautiful natural light that adds to the atmosphere. Um, it's For me, it's very memorable because of how beautifully painted the fabric is. It's really exquisitely done. Um, Mary typically is seen wearing red, um, but in this painting, as well as the title, she is identified by a bottle of ointment by her side, which is a common attribute, uh, which we'll explain a bit more about shortly. Uh, so there are other more typical depictions of this image, some of which are unintentionally funny. I mean, that's just my opinion, but... For example, Jesus is often depicted holding gardening tools or like a big straw hat as Mary kind of gasps in awe as she recognises him. And there's just something kind of strange about the fact that, you know, she's spent all this time mourning the loss of, of Jesus. And then when he appears before her, she doesn't recognise him. I'm not really sure why that is. 
Um, maybe the trauma of losing him has made her forget what he looks like or something. But um, the one example of this kind of painting is by the Dutch master Rembrandt, where we see exactly this Jesus looking very um, bucolic and peasant-like. So it's, it is an interesting take on the subject. He definitely loses some of his like majestic holiness. Um, it is evident that over hundreds of years, the figure of Mary Magdalene has morphed and been adopted by art to convey the perfect symbol of sinful forgiveness. It is interesting that she has been shaped to this extent, even though her origins and true character are scarcely touched on in the Bible itself. So how does she become so potent in people's imaginations with such a strong visual image and defined characteristics? Perhaps people clung onto her because she seemed so human and so flawed. She is never divine in artwork. She is always grounded in reality and often consumed with very intense emotion that we can all relate to. I mean, quite often you don't see that kind of pain on the faces of saints. You know, they're all sort of very, you know, I'm thinking of, is it Saint Anthony with all the arrows in him? And he's very like, accepting of his fate. Uh, Mary, no, she's absolutely full of suffering and regret. Um, in, in addition to her sexuality, it is perhaps Mary's pain and shame that is so prevalent in paintings of her, as I just said. Um, we can detect these feelings mostly through the stories and symbolic objects attributed to her. As I've mentioned, ointment appears commonly in paintings of Mary. The potion in question is thought to be spikenard, and this is a nice smelling liquid. This is an oil. It's often associated with prostitutes who used it to entice their clients and, you know, smell nice. However, it has a different meaning as well, and is referred to in a specific biblical story detailing Jesus dining with the Pharisees, I think it was Simon. After a long time walking in deserts, people from this time often had dirty feet and it was customary for them to wash their feet when entering someone else's home. Upon Jesus's arrival, a young woman falls at his feet and washes them in her tears, kissing them and drying them with her long flowing hair and then rubbing them in ointment. You may think this is Mary Magdalene, her washing Jesus's feet with her hair is a striking visual that most people will think of. However, she is not named so in the Bible, and this is through artistic license that over the years this sinner has been given the Mary Magdalene label. What else identifies Mary? Her long hair, as well as being connected to this story I just referred to, um, also refers to another biblical Mary whose identity has also been intermingled with Magdalene's. So this person is Mary of Egypt, who was a harlot who enjoyed sexual pleasure. One day she went to the temple wishing to tease the disciples, but was halted at the door by an invisible force forbidding her from entering. Seeing the error of her wicked ways, she fled into the desert and lived as a hermit for 20 years, surviving on nothing but three loaves of bread. When she was discovered by fellow hermit Zosimus, 
before her ultimate demise, she was completely naked, shrouding her body with her long flowing hair to help her cover herself. The wandering hermit gave her a cloak. Somehow the story of Mary of Egypt has been adopted by Mary Magdalene, and you see this very scene playing out in artworks, such as Giotto's fresco painting in the Assisi Chapel, which was done in, 13, in the 1320s. And this shows her emerging, golden-headed and nude from a cave, while Zosimus drapes a cloak rather gingerly over a rock. Perhaps this story of Mary of Egypt living a life of repentant sorrow in her cave has been so closely tied with Mary Magdalene because of another legend which has emerged in her story that draws close parallels between the two. It was said that following Christian persecution in the Holy Lands, Mary Magdalene was put on a boat and sailed off to safety, ending up on the shores of Provence in France, where she is remembered today as being responsible for the spread of Christianity. In her new home, Mary found a cave and lived there for 30 years, praying and begging for forgiveness. She has always been a rather tragic and remorseful figure, often prostrating herself even on the facade of church buildings when everyone else is carved standing upright and proud. Not Mary, she was filled with regret for her sordid past, which was never actually confirmed in biblical text, and decided to live out her days, starving herself of food and drink. It was said that she was visited by angels in her confinement, who kept her alive on a diet of celestial music. You can see examples of this extraordinary statement in paintings, like the one by Artemisa Gentileschi, painted in 1620, where Mary throws her head back in ecstasy. Often in religious paintings, divine inspiration can often be misinterpreted as sexual pleasure, and this subject is no exception. It's difficult to look at images of Mary in this state of rapture without wondering if her sexuality and reputation as being a former prostitute has crept into the choice of imagery, because it really is like she's having an orgasm. Let's let's just be plain about that. Artistic depictions of Mary's shame range from sexy to the bizarre, with the likes of the hairy Magdalene making an appearance, where we see several artworks showing Mary praying in her modesty and developing a pelt of thick fur that covers her naked body. So that is a very weird image and it's probably something that people aren't hugely common um hugely uh familiar with so you have examples like Tillman Riemann Schneider um this lovely terracotta sculpture which was completed in 1492 and it shows Mary praying um and she indeed has a very furry body and it's it is unusual but it's it is interesting as well I'm always a fan of this kind of quattrocento weirdness where it it's not quite as serene and beautiful and kind of perfect perspective perfect um you know like beautiful beings very sort of everything everyone is beautiful everything is beautiful it's got a little bit of 
strangeness to it, which makes it more visually compelling for me. And I think that's why I like Harry Magdalene. Um, there's this other example called the Winterfell Diptych. So Diptych, two panels used on an altarpiece. And it shows um, Mary being raised up by angels. And yes, she's smiling. She looks very happy. God is placing a crown on her head. But her body is completely covered in hair. And it is, again, a very like visually interesting picture um, it's quite typical in terms of composition. If you've ever seen, like, the Annunciation of Mary, uh, the Virgin Mary, um, of her being lifted up by angels, but this one, she just happens to have a very furry kind of body. Um, and the angels as well, they have very colourful wings and they're all smiling and it's a little bit janky, but kind of interesting. So definitely have a look at those. Um because yes, it is it is a strange sight to be to behold. We can certainly see uh, the confused hybrid tale of Mary Magdalene and Mary of Egypt in these rather prudish works. So even though we can find them amusing today, I do think um, that wh whoever would have painted Mary in this light probably was a little bit scared to paint the female form. So yeah, they probably were a bit prudish. However, um, this makes me think of Chinese whispers, where you can see how stories have become corrupted over time. And it's in interesting to see how this manifests in a visual form. It's kind of <laughs> turning into something kind of monstrous, fascinating. Uh, so the cave where Mary Magdalene was said to have spent her final days can be visited today and is home to what is supposedly her skull a divine relic dug up with her perfectly preserved rose-scented body in the 13th century. So definitely take that with a pinch of salt. Such objects held immense power and still do. They attract Christians from all over the world, hoping to glimpse something holy. There is a definite incentive for keeping legends alive like this. So a monetary one, but also one that defines religious control because throughout the centuries, it probably worked in the church's favour to have such a famous icon of repentant feminine purity in the form of a once immoral harlot turned subservient follower. In conclusion, the story and artistic representation of Mary Magdalene is a fantastic example of how art can literally rewrite history and biblical knowledge. We see how a scarcely mentioned figure in the Bible has been morphed over time, combined with other stories to create a rich cautionary tale and myth of a sinful woman transforming herself into a repentant and godly being. She is also the imperfect human stand-in who enters a forgiving Christian life and feels great sorrow and emotion when witnessing the treatment of Jesus, crying out in anguish and filling herself with remorse. She represents what all God-fearing Christians should be like. So, um, I yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was really interesting to, to research. Um, I'm looking forward to doing more episodes in September. Uh, I would quite like to do a series about mistresses because I think it's a lot of fun to read about specific people and to have more of a biographical approach. So look out for 
a series on famous mistresses, probably royal mistresses, you know, the Madame Pompadours of the world. So, yes, I, I hope you tune in for that. And thank you for listening to the end. Uh, there'll be many baffling paintings on the Instagram account. So please have a look at that at the Museum of Femininity. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, whatever you may be doing. Goodbye.